You're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. You'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. In each episode, you'll hear about the market opportunities and trends driving the industry forward. TechNest is proudly produced by Finn Ledger in partnership with HW Media. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. All right, here we go. Let's get fired up for this one. I have got on the show Tyler Oakland. He's co-founder of a company called Datador. Uh, here's what you might not expect coming from his bio. He's a Stanford-trained physician currently working as a fellow in facial plastics and reconstructive surgery at Vanderbilt right there in Nashville. Okay, so we've got a surgeon on the show who's going to be help dissecting. You know I couldn't avoid that one. Open door data. He's making open door and more broadly in the coming future, eye buying and eye buying related data more accessible for venture investors, institutional investors, but also for the retail investor and you know maybe average user like myself on you know consuming uh, large data. We cover a lot of different topics about open door, open door exclusives, what this means for the future of buying and selling homes. We're getting beyond the topic of just eye buying. You know, a lot of the media headlines want you to believe it's just about flipping homes, but there really seems to be a lot more happening at open door than just flipping homes. And some of the metrics, what they mean from a macro level, but also where's the trend going? Is open door going for market share? Or are they seeing this opportunity for improving their uh, unit economics? Uh, hint here probably the latter. Anyway, let's jump into the interview, hear what Tyler has to say about open door data. Renting a home shouldn't be complicated or frustrating. That's why Pure Property Management is on a mission to make renting a home a simple and satisfying experience for all. By banding together and building together, Pure's team of experienced industry professionals and seasoned technology innovators provide a high-tech, high-touch, and hyper-local property management service to residents and investors nationwide. To learn more, visit purepm.co. Hey, Tyler. Welcome to the show. Hey, Nate. Thanks for having me. It's been, I feel like, a long time coming, but the reality is um, we've only known each other on Twitter for short amount of time. <laughs> That's true. It's been a nice relationship though. PropTech has a way of bringing people together. Uh, you know, it, I think it just takes a, a special bunch to want to nerd out about some of these things. And I, I'm really excited because um, there's a lot of PropTech founders who are not on Twitter. And I haven't been able to figure this one out, but I'm hoping that for the ones who are not on Twitter who hear this, will hear not only that they are missing out on a ton of great connections and people, but there is stuff being built by people they'd never guess, and you're one of them. So um, let's go ahead, as we, we always do on this show, please introduce yourself, let everyone know who you are and what you do. Sure. <clears throat> so my name is Tyler Oakland. Um, I am a actually a physician and surgeon, uh, just finished training at Stanford. Now I'm at Vanderbilt, where I'm a facial plastics and reconstructive surgeon. Um, when I'm not at the hospital, I'm 
I'm a prop tech nerd. Uh, so I write a Substack called The Operator about technology companies and business strategy. And more recently, I co-founded a startup with uh, Sebastian Chaturo called Datador, which is a data analytics platform for iBuying and real estate data. Okay, so we're going to unpack this a little bit. Uh, to start with the most obvious, you are a surgeon and you have a data company focused on iBuying activities, specifically Open Door. Yes. How, how does that even happen? Like, where does that come from? And I have my own story with Open Door. Open Door, I credit largely, and this is why I'm excited about this topic, for even getting into prop tech. Because as I was researching an industry, believe it or not, I was living in Franklin, Tennessee at the time oh, nice. when I started this podcast. And Open Door and, of course, WeWork were getting all these headlines about all this money they were raising and the big opportunity. And, of course, if you got to start a business, you just follow the trail of, of dollars. Right. So what's your origin here with Open Door and, and entryway into PropTech? Yeah. So I, I, I've been investing for a long time, um, but, but sort of by nature of my trade, I'm like a subspecialist of a subspecialty, right? Like I, I pick favorites. Um, so, so I really like to dive deep into things. And I just remember it was early 2021 and I was hearing about Open Door and reading about it. And it felt like, it felt like, there, I'd never encountered a company where the investment thesis was so, so vast um, and so crisp. And yet everything I read about the company, it just seemed like, it seemed like the more I learned about the company, the less relevant the articles I was reading were. Like people sort of made these superficial assumptions about the company. And so when I, when I began writing in, in June uh, of 2021 about, about technology companies, I started with Open Door, and it was really just because I felt like no one was adequately capturing the investment thesis. And I felt like it was a very misunderstood company. And a few people have done it justice. But, um, but I just the deeper I went, the more fascinated I was with sort of the inner workings of, of what they were trying to accomplish. Yeah, see, it's so great, because I, I remember going deep in on Open Door, and I didn't really give much of this out. One of the things I looked at was just their search marketing. I was like, how are they finding all these homes? And one of the things that I put together, I love this. This is, this is like the type of creativity that um, is just perfect, was they were bidding it in Arizona early on. They were bidding on a lot of roof repair. Um, and my, my thought was, okay, here's what they've done. They have done their homework and know that people are looking into roof repair for one of two reasons. One, they're staying put forever. Two, they're getting ready to sell. And, and getting ready to sell, well, what if we don't have to put out the 15 grand to sell the house? So, that, I mean, it just makes a ton of sense. And it's like, well, I've had this conversation with people when I was a real estate agent as well of, you know, should we do the repairs and will you get the money back? And I have no way of telling you that. I don't know. And, and a lot of other companies have now focused on tackling that aspect of the challenge. But I think you're totally right. Is that there is so uh, large of an opportunity. Um, and so, you know, it, it's interesting to, to hear you say that and not, obviously not coming from the real estate background, you don't have the same lens. Um, let, let's kind of dive in a little bit to your product, Datador, what you guys are creating and focused on. Can you talk a little bit about the different points of data that you're collecting uh, and how you're sourcing that data? Yeah, so so back in back in uh, January of this year, um, I had been 
kind of accumulating and covering open door for a while. I've been making some estimates from some rudimentary scraping data and someone DM'd me on Twitter. We talked about how Twitter is sort of this magical place for connections. Someone I'd never talked to before DM me on Twitter. His name was Sebastian. He was like, Hey, I'm a Shopify developer and I've got, you know, some, um, some ability, I think to build a dashboard where we can track open door transaction data. And he was also interested in the open door investment thesis. So I can build this, but I don't know if I'm the right person to, to sort of commercialize it and to, and to explain it to people. Like, would you want to partner with me on this? And I was like, yes, that's awesome. That's so great. And so we, we spent the next four months sort of building up, um, this product, you know, we, we called it data door, but sort of beyond our wildest dreams, we got to this point where we were like, holy cow, our estimates are very close to, um, to actual results. And not only that, but it's real time. We can back test it. We've got data back through 2017. Um, so over a hundred thousand transactions in our database. And so we launched, we launched it as a, as an institutional offering. So basically, um, as a data vendor for hedge funds and institutions at the end of April. Um, and we've since broadened to, to, um, retail investors as well. And there's, there's sort of a long roadmap, but it's been, we're, we're working on trying to build basically the town square for I buying analytics. So, so, and, and some of the, the stats here, so over a hundred thousand, so you've already, uh, you've actually increased the number of transactions you've tracked since you built the site here, because, uh, you know, I can see some of them listed on the site here, uh, 104 Metro regions and 264 counties. So really, like, and it's probably grown since then because they've, they've uh, Open Doors had a few expansions yet this year. So I mean, you really are, you know, capturing a, a, a large portion of it. Um, but you know, the, the the data only represents a subset of transactions, and we historically capture about ninety percent of sales purchases. Where where is the rest of that going, or is it just because it doesn't get reported? Maybe you can talk through some of the difficulties in truly capturing one hundred percent of the data as it is today. Yeah. So, so one of the things that's really interesting is that we're capturing, we're capturing uh, 90% to 94% of, of all transactions. And that, that Delta, that 400 basis point Delta 90 to 94% has been consistent for the past two years. So every quarter for the past two years has been within that range, which is, which is pretty interesting. I think, I think some of what we're missing are institutional sales or off balance sheet, sheet transactions. Um, but that said, we do we do also capture institutional transactions, so it's it's clearly a blend. We've been able to improve our capture rate by finding edge cases, and so every quarter we're getting a little bit closer to 100. But I'm not sure if we're ever going to to get to exactly 100. percent And this is data though going back to 2015. This isn't just like the last two years, because you know, or even year, because that's how long you started writing on the you know the topic exclusively and and then you know you and sebastian got started but this is transactions you guys went proactively went back and grabbed from 2015 all the way back yeah 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 is this do you, do you uh, is does anyone else have a data set other than open door would does anyone else have this data set or a similar data set that would be able to access like this yeah there i mean actually the data analytics space for residential real estate is is it's pretty massive and competitive. So there's there's quite a few alternative data providers. I think you know some of our differentiating differentiating features is when you negotiate with a data provider for i buying analytics, for example, you usually get one to two reports a month, right? So like you'll get a data file, you'll get some raw data, you'll get some analytics. 
every two weeks, every month. The big advantage with data doors, we're turning this into software. So as opposed to you having to wait for analytics, which we provide, um, you know, but, but the real benefit is you can log into your own dashboard and see results in real time. And those results update throughout the day, right? So there's no lag between you and the company. So you don't have to wait three months for an earnings call. The data is right in front of you in real time. Yeah, that was actually one thing that stood out to me because here I am looking at it. You know, I'm, I'm actually logged into my data door account and I'm seeing the new listings, you know, uh, bar chart here. And I, 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 tr I had no idea they had so much inventory. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. I think that's still a good thing right now, especially in this in, in the market that we're in. Apologize for my, my dog in the background. I promised <laughs> that he was going to cause a problem. I knew he was he was just in he was in one of those phones. I knew he was going to do that. Um, have, it seems like a it's dog a, like that too. It seems like a, a it's a good thing for Open Door to have. Um, let, let's talk about some of these other um, metrics that I'm seeing in here. The, the gross margin. Um, this has been a little bit of a hot topic. Uh, if you will, some people are criticizing, saying, and, and I, I, you know, I had Ian on uh, Open Doors co-founder a few weeks back or a few months back, and I, I asked him to respond to the criticism. People say that Open Door can't exist and function in a down market, and he kind of laughed because he said, you know, people also said that Open Door can, you know, be a successful business in an up market. He goes, that, you know, so talk to me about the what you're seeing in the data about the health of their margin on sale is it, is it trending upward, downwards, and are there things that people are not considering when they're looking at the margin on the sale of each property? Yeah, I I I think I totally agree. I mean, obviously with with what Ian said, but like Open Door's product doesn't make any sense in a seller's market. Like their flagship product, Sell with Open Door, is a tool to make selling your home easier, right? Like sellers didn't need help selling their homes in 2021 or the first three months of 2022. And so the fact that they were able to scale 600% um, is pretty, pretty remarkable uh, given that. I would actually say that in a down market, when leaving your home on the market and just watching it depreciate, you've got no options, there's no buyers, no one's coming to your showings. That's when a company like Open Door should really shine, right? Because suddenly someone's like, please, like, let me get liquidity on my home as quickly as possible. It's a really valuable product and Open Door can widen spreads and still maintain conversion in a down market. The problem, the problem that you know we might see over the next few months or, or at least a quarter though, is that sharp transition from a really hot market to a really cold market. Because this isn't like a normal real estate cycle where you know we, you know, it was maybe up a little bit and then flattened and then went down. We went from the hottest real estate market of all time to one that's now slowing down pretty rapidly. And, and that's difficult. That's difficult for a lot of reasons, right? Because sellers want that April home valuation and they're not going to get it. But but they still they're going to leave their home on the market because, you know, they, they want to get that. They're still attached to it. So the, the expectations haven't reset yet and people are battening down the hatches. On the other hand, if fewer people are listing their homes, there's less supply in the market, which should create a nice buffer for home prices. Yeah. You know, and, and and I have to give a shout out to another data company here, Mike Simmonson, Altos Research. I don't know if you you follow Mike. Yeah. I mean, Mike's one of my favorite people of all time on Twitter. And I and I, and I say that with no hyperbole. I've never actually met Mike yet. I like him maybe because he gives me kudos on Strava after my runs. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but the reality is he, he's so heart. consistent. 
Yeah, right. If you want, hey, you guys want to win me over, just log on to Strava, follow me, and give me kudos on my slow ass pace. <laughs> so, so the thing though about Mike is every single Monday, I know, well, except for yesterday was a holiday, he's going to publish the Altos Research Real Estate Market Overview. And I, I've been watching this, and it's just so phenomenal. Like, you talk about unique market dynamics that right now what we're seeing is inventory climbing. It's genuinely climbing uh, at a rate that's, it, it, you know, pretty incredible. It grew 7% week over week, which, I mean, right now, uh, everyone will take that. It's still, uh, you know, as um, one of my other favorite people I got to give a shout out to. I don't know how to say Logan's last name, but Logan Matashimi, I think is how you say it, from uh, HousingWare. A yeah. savagely unhealthy market is has as he would put it a savagely unhealthy market. Uh, but the other thing is the um, the 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 actual median list home price is just going higher. So it it almost seems like this would be a if you could a perfect storm for someone like Open Door ability to access, find, and purchase from sellers who may be nervous about sliding prices. And yet we still have, there's still an appetite for buying uh, and that the, the prices seem to still have some upward trajectory. Um, is Am I missing something here? Or are you also seeing similar things in the, in the day that you guys have that point to this really could be a, a, a phenomenal season for Open Door coming up? Yeah, I think... Um... I think Q2 is going to be the peak in terms of gross profit margin. I mean, it was it was super normal um, in Q2, and and part of that was because Open Door was quite conservative on their on their purchase price for homes that were sold in Q2. So Q3 is is definitely looking weaker in terms of gross margin relative to Q2. But but like the whole the whole point of Open Door is it you know the stock price has reached this point now where it's almost a call option. Like it's priced like a call option. Yeah. 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 But I, but I basically mean, you know, if open door survives, not, not so much does well or doesn't, doesn't do well, but if open door survives through this, you know, sort of turbulent time, you kind of have to wonder at what point does it re-rate um, because it, because it survived a downturn or a flat cycle or, or whatever. And, and so I think the second half of this year is actually going to be really helpful. It's, it's a crucible moment for Open Door. Everything that I've seen shows a company that's navigating it gracefully, um, if, not as, if not as wonderfully as Q2 was. I mean, it's still, it's a tough time. It's a super volatile time to be buying and selling homes at scale. Yeah, no doubt. Let's talk about something that's actually really interesting. You, you posted about this recently on Twitter. Um, and uh, for those who are wondering what Tyler's uh, Twitter handle is, it's in the, it'll be in the notes and uh, we can give a shout out to that a little bit later here. Um, but you talked about Open Door Exclusives Marketplace in Austin, Texas. So I want to let you kind of talk through a little bit about like, what is this exclusive marketplace? What has it been showing as far as, you know, business-wise to Open Door? And what do you think it means to consumers in a future model for buying and selling homes? Yeah, I'm... I'm super excited about Open Door Exclusives, just as just as a, a new product. I, I referred to Open Door Exclusives as putting the romance back in the home buying process. Um, and that, the, there the, are I, some very passionate agents that are going to take to issue with that, but I'm going to let that one go. That's cool. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, just just to address just to address that as well, I think 
so so many people want to make this binary like either the world is going to be open door or the world is going to be the traditional real estate experience with realtors and i think there's so much space there's so much space for everyone for everyone to be involved like it's far too big of a prize too big of a pie for there to be only one victor or only one modality and, and i think you talk to any realtor um like the process is broken in a lot of ways and there's there's ways that it needs to be improved and that's not a realtor problem right like that's that's just it's a really really challenging transaction it's mostly offline it's there's lots of counterparties so i i don't think i don't think it's one or the other um and so i i guess when i'm referring to putting the, the buying or the romance back into the home buying process for anyone who's attempted to buy a home in the past year it's miserable so i, I think it's it's needed uh you know for us to have that experience but open door exclusives is this is this off market for sale by owner um, uh, platform that Open Door launched late last year and is currently scaling. So they launched in Austin, then they launched in Houston. Those are its only two markets. But the concept is is that inventory that Open Open Door has in those markets, it will offer on its exclusives platform, and the exclusives platform is only available for two weeks. It's not listed on the MLS. Um, you know, you, you can you can use a realtor in that process, but you, the buyer, would have to pay that commission. So for Open Door, Open Door doesn't have to pay any seller's commission um, for homes that are sold through the exclusives platform. And there's a lot of reasons strategically this is this is so valuable. But the the most important thing is if you're not paying a three percent commission and your your overall aggregate contribution profit margin is four to six percent, that means that you've eliminated uh, 50 to 75% drag in your contribution profit margin margin uh, targets, which is pretty substantial. 50 to 75% is pretty substantial. Oh yeah, totally. And, and, and I'm looking at the, uh, I'm looking at it on my screen right now. Um, I have not looked this up previously. So uh, bad on- I just wrote an article for, about it. I'm an idiot. Okay, I first off, uh, my real excuse, I'm just still getting off over COVID. So there's my real excuse. Just, um, just check the the thumbnail because I've spent a lot of time designing the thumbnail on Canva, and that's this that's is the worth, game of homes. Is that yeah? You don't have to read the yeah, article. Yeah. Just just tell me what you think of the thumbnail. <laughs> uh, you're not gonna like this. I don't know anything about those movies. So, I know it's based on a movie, but like <laughs> it looks, I you know, no, I, it's you a know. it's a TV show, Game of Thrones. I thought it was a movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there you go. I don't know. I thought it was a, a, a series of movies like yeah. The Ring or Hobbit or thing like that. But I'm looking at all of this inventory. I mean, this is a significant amount of homes to choose from within a good radius. And also, this is not, um, you know, one thing that's very interesting to me here is that I'm seeing good quality photos. I'm seeing, uh, for the most part, I'm seeing actual fronts of the homes. Also interesting that they're using the front of the home as the, um, the the thumbnail image and not like the kitchen because some research suggests different rooms, maybe not so much the front of the home. But, you know, this looks like a nearly mature marketplace for at least one region. What, yeah. what are the chances that, that, I mean, they just turn this on in all the markets they're in and how many, how many markets are there already over 100 metros? Well, yeah, over 100 metros, but... 48 markets. Okay. Exclusives is currently active in two markets, um, Austin and in Houston. I I think 
I think that this is something that should be turned on in all of their markets eventually. I mean, it's it's super powerful. Um, so I, I we have a we have an exclusives dashboard on the um, Adams and Foundry dashboard. So like the uh, the retail and institutional investor dashboards. And yes. basically in May, one in three Austin home sales were through the exclusive platform for Open Door. Um, so that's pretty powerful because Austin is, I think, their 13th largest market by volume. Um, so if they can if they can roll that out to like Dallas Fort Worth, et cetera, it could be a huge, huge improvement in their bottom line. Right, because again, you know, they they're working. You know, this is not a uh, co-op type sale as the majority of real estate sales are in the residential consumer market. And so while it maintains some of that consumer feel, uh, it's it doesn't have the same expenses to it. Um, it's something that I want to look a little bit more into. I can already hear the naysayers. Well, what about inspections and who makes sure of this, that, and the other because it's off market? Um, do you have any visibility into the actual transaction coordination? Yeah, so it's it's not an it's not a uh, best offer. It's buy it now. Um, so it's a no haggle price. It's offered one point five to two percent lower than their future listed value. So they'll they'll tell you, hey, you know, we're gonna we're listing this value this home on exclusives. For one and a half to two percent less, then we're going to list it on the MLS. But it's buy it now. Um, there's an appraisal match guarantee. You can reserve your home. Uh, you can reserve the home while you're filling out the contract. So like, there's no there's no competition, right? You don't need an all cash offer or anything like that. It's just a it's more like a checkout experience yeah. than than the sort of offline experience. So I love I love this. I actually once sold an iPad doing the exact same thing. Um, not a house, but he. Hear me out on this one. Here's the combo. Here's the consumer combo. You get getting beat out in this market because it's savagely unhealthy, right? Right. So then you call up a company called Ribbon and they do cash offer for you to purchase. And then you buy off open door, which is one to 2% under the future market price. So then the cost of your Ribbon service is absorbed by some of the discount on your open door exclusives. And now you can win a home. It actually seems like there's some options here for consumers who have been really battling it out and not being able to win to maybe win a home. Um, well, so maybe I'm just so totally you, geeking out here. You don't need an all cash offer. So because it's through open door, they'll, you don't have to be competitive. They're not like prioritizing someone over someone else. Oh, like they'll okay. give you so, so, so it's just first come first serve, get it. And the term's already spelled out. And uh, it, well, it just breaks everything down to price then versus yeah. all the other factors that confuse everyone. Right. Wow. And, and Open Door has that I buy or that uh, power buyer product as well, like the right. buy with Open Door. But you just don't you don't need it because you're not competing with anyone. I honestly slipped that out of my mouth. Let's talk a little bit about um, something that you'd mentioned to me before the show was you know some of the Open Door data may be some really good or maybe some of the best uh, signals as far as like a macro environment as to what's going on. What do you see that really are those macro indicators and uh, which ones do you think are possibly getting overlooked by others when they're kind of looking at the health of the real estate market? Yeah, I think part of the thesis for investing in open door is that they're sort of market cycle agnostic. Like the, they can work in an up cycle. We've seen that um, through 2021 and 2022. But the real question is, can they also do that in a down market? And And so I think people overvalue the impact of home price appreciation or HPA. They think like, you know, for open door to be profitable, they need the 20% year over year HPA. Um, 
And and so one of the one of the arguments that I've made is that Open Door is actually beginning to rely more on spread, which is buying a home for less than it's worth today. Um, and so they, they've actually shown that they've been able to do that, right? Like that's a buy side efficiency metric, whereas HPA is a sell side efficiency metric. But in a down market in particular, that's really important because you have to be able to buy a home for a little bit less than it's worth today so that when you, you know, when you do sell it, you've realized that gross profit margin above your 5% fees. So you're like 5% fees plus a little bit, few hundred basis points for spread. Um, the other thing too, is that holding time is really important. So how long open door holds inventory, we're able to see how many turns of, of capital that they're able to, um, you know, to go through in a year. And that's a really important capital efficiency metric. So like in a down market, open door needs to show that they can decrease holding times. So they need to be faster about buying a home, listing it, getting it to pending, getting it to sold than they were in the hot market. And in a hot market, there's no, there's no need to rush because every day that your home sits in the market, it's appreciating. So like why, why hustle on selling it? But in a down market, you really do have to be, you got to be operationally efficient. And what I'm seeing in the data is that uh, from a peak of 140 days holding time uh, a couple quarters ago, Open Door is now sitting sub 100. So they have done a really good job of, of improving holding times. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about specifically uh, Data Door here and you know the use of what you guys are collecting. Obviously, the, there's lots of things that you know I could dive in there and nerd out about, so I can like spout it off at the next mixer and sound really smart. Um, but what are some of the use cases you're hearing from paid subscribers? And also, if you can, like talk about the two different account levels so that people get an idea of like actually the product that you've built here. Um, you know, being able to harness and pull together uh, this, all this data. Yeah. So the overall goal of Datador is just to make the iBuying space and PropTech in general, more understandable, more digestible. And, and if you spend any time talking to anyone about these PropTech companies, you know, you're already aware that there's so much misunderstanding and so much superficial level sort of knee jerk um, reactions to what a company can and, and can't do. And, and I think that that that's overall negative, right? Like in an ideal world, everyone just understands the company, the value proposition, and then can make a choice based on that. But we don't, we don't really see that today. And so Datador is really aimed at displacing all of that and replacing it with clarity. So for our two current subscriber levels, we have Foundry, which is our institutional offering. And so that's, you know, with hedge funds, consulting firms, we offer the raw transaction data plus access to our real-time dashboard. And that's a very powerful dashboard. There's no lag between us and them. So they, they log in, they get their data in real time, they get their peace of mind. Um, there's nothing closer, closer to the glass than Foundry, as far as I'm concerned. Um, Adams is our newly launched retail subscription. Um, and that's really exciting because that's like us building a community and building, building understanding in the investment community. And that's meant to just be retail investors. Um, and it's, it's a little bit different. It doesn't have the raw transaction data, um, but it does have a lot of the same powerful features of Foundry. It's just a little delayed relative to Foundry. Um, there has to be a difference, especially, um, you know, given the differences in pricing between the two. Yeah, very cool. And appreciate you sharing all that and going into those details. Um, we're going to jump into, I think it's going to be a fun segment. This is from the audience. So we talked Twitter earlier today and Twitter gave us some questions. 
And uh, I'd like to first just say to everyone who didn't get their question picked, it was nothing personal. I just, you know, there was a lot to, to choose from. Uh, I wanted to give a little bit of a, a variety here to you, Tyler. So first one comes from at Open Door Bull. Mm -hmm. And I rewrote this a little bit. So Open Door Bull, thank you for the inspiration, but I rewrote it. Uh, can Open Door keep buying at their current pace? Is there reason to believe they could double their pace in the next one to three years? For sure. I, I think that that's, that's definitely a possibility. There's Open Door is a super conservative company by culture. And I think part of the decrease in sales volume that at least I'm seeing right now, both in at the end of Q2 and also heading into Q3 is because they just want to focus on prudent unit economics. And in this transition period, I think that's really important. But long-term, like Opendoor is using these months to build the infrastructure for their next leg of growth, right? Like they went 600% um, throughout 2021. They're going to try to stay probably this is my this is my estimate. They're going to try to stay within a narrow band of of their current run rate uh, for probably the next six months as they navigate these sort of turbulent times. But then after that, once they get the all clear signal, I expect another one of those massive legs up in scale. Uh, next one comes from at board underscore shack eight eight six. Gotta love those usernames. That's a board that shack. original. Lord Shack wants to know, observing a change in priority from market share growth to margins, can you elaborate on the change in strategy and how this would benefit Opendoor? I think we talked a little bit about that yeah. and kind of just hinted that, hey, this is that time. This is the time for them to really get the unit economics down uh, in, in a nice, healthy position, which in all seriousness, though, like what business isn't doing that at the moment of making sure that they have really strong unit economics for the next few months? because no one knows what is at the end of 2022. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's it's objectively the the right move right now. Um, in an ideal world, they'd be scaling into this and gaining market share as well. Um, but I I just think the focus, the focus should really not be revenue for the sake of revenue. Like the focus of any company is profits. Eventually it needs to be profitable. And so so particularly in these times, Open Door just needs to focus on you know, staying, staying alive, maintaining unit economics. And then when things clear, they can really get back to scaling that bonkers growth that we saw earlier. All right. Next one comes from JP FEFFS. I have no idea how to say that. <laughs> I, I was really going to try. Sorry, JP. Uh, does Datador have data on percent split of buyers that are investors or end users? And if so, how has that split moved over time? And a caveat here, uh, this question comes with an armchair theory. Big element open doors model in a down cycle is that they can accelerate the velocity of a distressed seller's time to exit, then turn around and sell the property to firms like Inspiration Homes, Transcendent, et cetera. Yeah, I, I think uh, this, this is a really good question. Um, first answer, yes, we do track, um, the number of institutional sales that, that we capture. I would say that that has stayed relatively consistent. I'm looking at the graph right now. It stayed relatively consistent um, at least, yeah, since Q2 of 2021. So it, over the past year, it stayed pretty consistent. Um, I, I think he also makes a good point that in a downturn, like rent should be countercyclical, right? So if there was a recession or if there was a housing downturn, the appetite for 
single family rental unit should just go up. And so there is an opportunity for open door to sell, to sell inventory to institutions in that situation. Yeah. And in fact, you know, th- this is so interesting to think through the, like the, the British, not ricochet, but like, uh, what do they call it? Maybe domino effect. Maybe that's a good yeah. word for it. I don't know. Um, but we, you know, we, we just had Joe Fogelari from pure property management on the show, you know, the other week. And one of the things he talked about, you know, pure went from zero to like 15,000 units under management in two years, acquiring yeah. 35 property management companies along the way, doubling their efficiencies of management, you know, uh, per employee. And ultimately, at the end of the day, though, what he was talking about is like some of the biggest opportunities right now is with an institutional. Yeah, they want to buy and own single family rentals, but someone's got to manage it. And right now, there's actually only a few companies that really have the ability to service that, you know, uh, upcoming interview with Mar- Marcella Sapone um, of Alfred, you know, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit as well, about being able to operate these playbooks you know, systematically the same way in every city. Um, and that theme, you know, no surprise coming from a high growth company like Pure, um, Alfred, which is, you know, demonstrated time and time again, they're a leader in prop tech. Uh, and then when I talked with Ian, you know, there's a theme from each one of those interviews that you can't get away from, which is the playbook, you know, and the operations manual, if you will, on, on how they go through this. So, it does make sense to me, though, that this would be part of probably a page in that playbook of, okay, if market goes this way, then we also go this way. Uh, it, it just makes a lot of sense. Tyler, we're going to move to the bottom of the show here. This is called For the Future. For the Future is when I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. I've been doing this to you for like the last 35 minutes to tell me exactly what the world will look like in six months from now. But are you ready to play? I'm ready to play. All right, question number one, what does Datadora look like one year from now? Hmm. Oh, that's a great question. Um, so so I, I think going, going back to what I said earlier, our goal is to improve everyone's ability to understand iBuyer analytics. And so Datadora in one year is gonna look like uh, more products, so more more offerings for everyone who's a stakeholder in the space, because um, it's not just retail investors and institutional investors. There's a lot of other people that are in the space. Um, we're going to broaden to other companies like Redfin and Offerpad because those are similarly very easy to to scrape and analyze. Um, and I think one of the biggest things that I'm kind of focused on is building community features for Datadore. And so creating a space where people can post content, can communicate, can discuss the thesis, um, can be in a space where it's not like an echo chamber where the bare thesis is discussed and data is actually used to, to, to make arguments. I mean, I think that's sort of the, the biggest plan for the company right now. Question number two, how many years until iBuyers? So this isn't just open door. I want to, I know that that's the direction you're going to get a little bit broader than just open door. How many years until iBuyers capture 20% of market share? Good question. Let's see. I think um, I think open door will probably breach will easily breach 1% this year, um, and they are 80% market share. So it's it's a ways away. Um, five years maybe, uh, but it really depends on kind of if we do see that that similar scale that we talked about before. Yeah, have you seen the um, services of like 
essentially iBuyer as a service? I have. Yeah, there's there's quite a few startups working on that right now, like setting that up for brokerages and things like that. Do, do you think that makes and like I know this is like a total like additional tangent here, but does does that count as iBuyer or is like oh, is that a whole other category? Um, I think it's I think it's a whole other category. Personally, um, I also I also just don't think that, and I'm. I would love to be proved prove, proven wrong on this, but I, I just think that I buying sort of intrinsically is a business that only works at extreme scale. Like you really need economies of scale for, for I buying to work in the way that, in the way that it's imagined. Um, and even open door at the scale it's at is, is really scratching the surface of breaking even. So yeah, I, that's sort of, that's sort of my opinion, but I, but I do think that there is opportunities to sell like software as a service, which could be a very high margin business. Um, it just becomes the problem of the people that you're selling to, to turn that into a profitable one. Question number three, what's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? Oh, geez. I think, I think one of my biggest frustrations with, with the traditional buying and selling home transaction, particularly the buy side, is just how many counterparties are involved. And I, I've talked about this before, but the problem with you having you know, an agent, a mortgage broker, a title and title and escrow agent, right? Like, you know, a home warranty company, a homeowner's insurance company. The problem with having all of those different counterparties is that you're paying their customer acquisition costs and you're paying it five, six times. And so it just makes sense that if a company could come along and internalize all those services and offer them full stack to the customer, you wouldn't have to pay six customer acquisition costs, right? Like, you wouldn't even have to pay one because you're already a customer of theirs that they they bought for whatever funnel that you came through. And I think for American consumers, especially in this super inflationary environment, it just makes sense that that some company someday would come along and um, kill all that and, and turn it into a one stop shop. You know, um, one of the things that I'll, I'll never forget from my days as a real estate agent, um, I had the extreme. Uh, uh, I guess, fortunate experience. Uh, and people have heard me talk about this before, before is, is working with Ben Kinney up in Bellingham, Washington. Um, you know, if you're not familiar with who Ben is, his company Place just raised $100 million a few months ago, billion-dollar valuation from Goldman Sachs, back-office solution for real estate brokerages, marketing, CRM, the whole nine yards. And one of the things I remember in our listings um, scripts you know, as we we're talking with prospects, is the number of tasks it took to sell a home. And through, you know, through the Ben Kinney system on how to sell a home, basically, 180 tasks were identified, 180 individual tasks. And when you think about that, that was essentially one person, a part of the transaction. How many things can possibly go wrong to an overworked, understaffed, under-resourced agent? That's just one person of the transaction. And it goes back to the theme, in my in my view, is that those who like take the time of building out the playbooks really are the ones who win. That's one of the things that I immediately remember um, meeting Ben and him showing me was when I asked him, how does your business operate? And he showed it to me. He showed, he wrote, he drew it out on the paper. I was like, okay, I get this. But 180 individual tasks, <laughs> so many opportunities to screw something up. Yeah. It's not fair. Um I still can't believe they let me sell homes. All right, number four here, last one for the future. What's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? 
change or fade away? Change or fade away. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think um, one of the companies I'm really I'm really excited about, and I had the opportunity to uh, to speak with their CEO is is Divi. I think that they have a really oh, really yeah. fascinating model. Um, just this just this sort of concept of of buy to own. Like my 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 belief, and and I'm sure that we share this belief, and probably a lot of people listening to this is just that technology came and it and it fixed so many things in our world, right? But it was all the low hanging fruit. It was all the obvious things, the easy to fix things. And, and increasingly we've gotten to those higher branches, but the highest branches of the most difficult things to fix is definitely real estate, right? Like it's so offline, it's so analog, it's so expensive. It's so, it moves at this glacial pace. And so companies like Opendoor coming along and leading the charge for all these other prop tech companies that are trying to solve these, these really challenging problems. And I think, the biggest thing that I would like to see is just continued investment in the prop tech space and companies like like Divi and the companies that you mentioned today to create more solutions for, for consumers because transacting our, our largest asset class, I believe, should be a delight. It shouldn't be painful. It shouldn't be 180 steps. It should be it should be like romantic, like finding your dream home. It's it's fulfilling the American dream. And, and so that's that's part of the reason I invest in prop tech, why I'm so excited about these companies. I uh, appreciate that. Tyler, these last three questions are all about you. So our listeners get to know you better. First one is, what are you reading? What am Inside I reading? Inside Open Door Earning Statements. <laughs> um, let's see. So I am taking uh, my written boards for um, head and neck surgery in the middle of August. So right now I'm reading a lot a lot of textbooks on uh, how to answer questions for, for the, that examination. I really don't understand how you do it, but all right. Question number two, who are you learning from? Yeah. So I, I learn, I learn all the time from, um, you know, my co-founder for Datador, Sebastian, he's I, sort of prior to meeting him. I've kind of been in this impression, like, I, like I said, I'm a subspecialist of a subspecial sub subspecialty. And I always sort of thought that Jack of all trades meant that you couldn't really be good at a lot of different things. And he's sort of the exception to that rule. He, he can accomplish so many things that seem like they shouldn't be within the same skill set, um, and he does it very well. Like if you check out the Datador website, it's it's not just you know cool visuals; it's also just a well-designed site. Like he he has skills, and he's done a great job sort of presenting data in a very understandable way. So I I learn a lot from him. He's he's been a great touch point, especially someone who's you know works at a big tech company himself. It's been a lot of fun to, to work with him in this process. Very cool. Um, just so that we give full credit to the quote here, uh, a jack of all trades, master of none, but oftentimes better than right. a master right. of one. And so maybe, right. maybe that's right, right, an right. okay thing there. He, he, he totally, he totally fits that. He's much better than the, the master of one sort of designation. All right. Last one here. What inspires you? I, I have a lot. I've, I mean, I, I feel like I have a sort of um, endless supply of inspiration. I have I have great, uh, grateful patients who, who um, you know, kind of give me a, a reason to wake up in the morning. That's that's a lot of fun. That's something that I think I'm always going to get value from. I have a beautiful wife that I just got married to, and we just moved into um, you know a home together. So that's that's also been inspiration. Um, I think building things also is super inspiring. Like this whole process, data door, the amount of things that has to be built. Um, talking to customers, um, anticipating needs, like putting out fires, all this stuff is really, 
really been a lot of fun for me and it's totally tangential to, to my normal career. So I, I get a lot out of it. Tyra, this has been a lot of fun. I'm genuinely really grateful for your time. Uh, I've been, um, you know, we've been connected on Twitter. I've seen community that you've built around this topic. Um, you know, the product that you're working on and, um, really giving me no excuses anymore to do hard things. Cause I, I mean, I barely got through college. So I mean, you're doing <laughs> like seven colleges on top of that plus this. Um, so I really appreciate all this for those who want to learn more about data door and, or get connected to you, where do they go? How do they do it? Don't forget your Twitter handle. Yeah. So, um, Really easy to find our site, www.datador.io. Um, and then my Twitter is, I don't know, I think it's Tyler uh, Bottom. Do we have to look it up? Yeah. <laughs> Tyler Oakland. Uh, I should be I should be like the only one. At Tyler underscore Oakland. That's O-K-L-A-N-D underscore M-D. There you go. That's Tyler Oakland M-D. Uh, you can also find his link on the uh, TechNest site or in the show notes description wherever you found this episode. And if you really can't find it, at me at Nate Smoyer, and uh, I'll, sh I'll be sure to, to make an intro here for you. But otherwise, this has been great. Um, I'm going to be keeping an eye out on what you're publishing because then I don't have to do all the hard work and figure out what's going on in this market. Um, but until then, I'll see you on Twitter. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Nate. Well, thanks for listening to the Tech Nest podcast. You can always get future episodes delivered to you directly by subscribing to the podcast in your favorite app store. You can also join the newsletter. Head over to technest.io or finledger.com slash newsletters to get all future episodes, updates, and more sent to you right in your inbox. Last but not least, we appreciate your support. Please go ahead and give us a rating and review in your app store. This helps others discover the podcast and know that it's a great worthy listen. We'll see you next week.